We were looking at the birth of the Lord Jesus, and so Luke uh, really covers this uh, about his birth. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 2, excuse me, his growth is what I wanted to focus on. And so Dr. Luke in his gospel records most of what is revealed in scripture about his childhood. Luke cites several things that we can know for sure about the childhood of the Lord. And so this is what's covered in scripture, and um, we don't really... Uh, know a lot beyond that. And um, as I say, there's a lot of people who engage in conjecture about a lot of things, but, you know, I don't, I wouldn't, (laughs) I'd be hesitant to do that. So now Luke chapter 2, notice in verse 40 is where we find ourselves. We see it in Acts 180 as well, and we'll make our way back there. Uh, And Luke chapter 2 and verse 40 uh, let's go back and get some context in verse. Um, well, let's start with verse uh, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. So you have these markers throughout the gospel that are to be like a flag waving to people saying, hey, read this. There is something happening here. But people plow right through it and they don't notice it. Right. Here's one of those markers. You have this guy who was waiting for the return of the glory to Israel. And he was in the temple. The Lord's mother and Joseph brought the baby into the temple to be circumcised. And this man was waiting, and he was told that he would not die until he saw the return of the glory. And so, I don't know how old this guy was, but he maybe he was waiting for a little bit. (laughs) He was old. And so notice in verse 25, you see this fellow, and notice that he was a just and a devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Again, there's one of these markers that should be selling everybody. Hey, they're under law. They're observing law. But people plow right through it like. This was not even, this statement wasn't even made. Verse 28. Then he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now letteth thou servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now, when you look at salvation, again, a word is only as good as the context that it is in. Do not read spiritual salvation into this context. He's not talking about spiritual salvation. He's talking about deliverance, physical salvation. That's what Israel was looking for. Deliverance from their enemies. Hold your finger there and I'll just show you just as an aside here over in uh, the chapter one of Luke. What they were waiting for. In verse 68 and 69, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up, uh, raised up 
a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, as he spake by uh, the mouth of his holy prophets, which should have been, uh, been since the world began. Now he's going to tell you what that salvation is. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. See, that's not salvation like you and I are talking about today. That's physical salvation. They were looking for deliverance from their enemies. And so uh, when you're saved, I don't think you were looking for deliverance from your enemies. Maybe you were, but not these kind of enemies. (laughs) And from the hand of all who hate us. And to perform mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. See, and all, all you do is just leave things in context. So we know now he's not talking about spiritual salvation. And so going back over to chapter two. He says, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Um, in Luke chapter two, when we're talking about uh, Simeon, um, In verse 30, he said that. Now notice in verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. So one of the things that you see in the Old Testament was that the sun was going to uh, affect the Gentiles. And notice the, the other side of this. And the glory of thy people, Israel. See the distinction made there between the Gentiles and Israel? And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Verse 35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. And there was, here's, you have another person who was waiting for this proof. And her name was Anna. Verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess of the daughter of Phanelial, of the tribe of Asher. And she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seventy years, uh, seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. And when they performed all the things, notice here again, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Some people would put here Titusville. (laughs) Can anything good come out of Titusville? Verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And so notice you see Dr. Luke, he uses the word for grew. Um, This is the Greek word um, oxano, which means to increase in the extent or of in the instance of an activity or state to to spread out or to extend. And so it's looking at physical growth here. Um, in the context. And so the, notice he says, and he, Dr. Luke said he grew in, uh, in stature. The word stature is a different word to emphasize the physical growth. Um, the word is used in scripture to emphasize both height and length of life. And notice uh, also he uh, says that he was, now I said oxano, it's actually more not of physical growth, it's of uh, mental growth. 
And then you have here, he, he was filled with wisdom. The Lord in the realm of his humanity was filled with wisdom. The word filled is to fill up that which is lacking. The passive use uh, details that someone caused him to be filled. Now, I believe here what you're going to see here in the realm of his humanity, a lot of things happened because of the Holy Spirit being upon him. Now, we're going to see, and we don't always emphasize this enough in talking about Christology and the son's earthly ministry. So he was 100% God. But what we're going to see is a lot of the things that he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember when he did the miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit? And the uh, Jewish leader says, he did that by Beelzebub. Well, why did God say to him, or the Lord say to him, that whosoever says that, right, doing his earthly ministry will never be forgiven in this age nor the one to come? Because he was attributing what the Spirit did through the Son as being from Satan. The Spirit did it. And we'll see that. It's so easy to see. And so you say, well, why? I mean, this is a real interesting question. Could the son have done it? Absolutely. Well, why did the spirit do it? I really think a lot of what you're going to see is that when the Holy Spirit is used through the son and his humanity, I think it's a foretelling of what happens with believers today and how the Holy Spirit is able to work with the humanity of someone to accomplish what God wants. And so. Here you see this word for wisdom. He was filled. Uh, wisdom means to have an ability to properly apply knowledge. And so he, he was able to properly apply what he knew. And so he grew. Uh, now, this is boggling to our minds because we think that he just was born and he immediately knew everything. But I think that what you see here is that he limited in the realm of his humanity. He had to have done this. What he could, what he knew, in order that he could have the proper human experience. Now I'll show you a scripture that really proves this. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter two, and of course I'm I'm depending on my memory again, and uh, let's see if we go, uh, we're still in good stead, uh, and so the son was able to learn obedience. Um, and so and that's an interesting thing. You say, well, how did the son that he was able, he learned obedience. Yeah, he was, he learned it. And it was something that he didn't um, know within the realm of his humanity, but that he learned it. Um, well, I thought I could get it. But that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Um, well, I'm going to have to get that one for you. I thought it was in the second chapter. Uh, and I'm probably looking right over it, which is my want to do. Oh, I'm sorry. It's in chapter five. <clears throat> so take about 20% off of that <laughs> for me struggling to find it. In Hebrews chapter five. <clears throat> And so the son in the realm of his humanity, he, he had to learn certain things. He didn't automatically know it. Now, why did he not automatically know it? Because I think that he, he had to allow his humanity to grow in a natural sense. Otherwise, he would not have the experience that he had 
of learning how to have sympathy with humans in the things that we go through. And you can see it here in, in Hebrews chapter 5. Um, let's start, if you would, um, in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And he said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, he's talking about the son here, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now notice in verse 8, this is just an astonishing statement that he makes here. Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience. Can God learn something? Well, in the realm of his humanity, he gained information. And he had to, it had to be that way in order to understand the human experience. You see. Now, how did he learn obedience? By or through the things he suffered. The things that he suffered. Now, you don't think that suffering has any good um, things to it, but I have to tell you, some of the best, some of my better days have been after I've suffered. I, mean, I don't want to admit that. <laughs> I don't want to say bring more, <laughs> but you know, you grow a lot, right, from suffering. You really do. And so notice his wisdom was on display throughout his earthly ministry. So those who heard him in the temple were astonished at his words. Notice this in Luke chapter 2 and verse 47. And so here he is as a young man. He goes into the temple and he's talking with these uh, the uh, highfalutin guys in the temple. In verse... Um, 41, we'll pick it up there. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as uh, they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph, his mother, knew not of it. You say, well, how did she not know? Well, I believe that there was a big party of people there. I don't think it was just the mother and Joseph. I think there was a lot of other People in that in the household. Now notice, but they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. Now, who do we notice twelve years old? You know any twelve years old, twelve year old kids? You imagine them sitting in and talking to these theologians, and he knows more than they do. <laughs> I mean, this would just this would just be off the charts. And all that heard him were astonished. I like that word for astonished. It's the word. Um, it's the ek preposition with histomy, and it has the idea to be outside of yourself. You're so amazed. You're standing outside of yourself. With amazement is the idea behind it. They were astonished at his understanding. Uh, now, the word for understanding there is interesting. Um, uh, the ability to put things together. 
it's the words soon and ido. And so you have knowledge and you're able to take that knowledge and put it together until there's an understanding you have because you're able to put it together. Uh, and so upon his, on the basis of his understanding and his answers and how, they, how he was able to answer them. Um, and so you see how that happened. Now notice those who heard his message on the changing nature of the kingdom from the heavens were perplexed by his wisdom. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. 13, and that's, um, it's in 54. Um, and let's start with 53. In Matthew 50, uh, chapter 13, and again, as you look at the parables, and particularly these parables are telling, the mystery of these parables is it's telling you what happens to the kingdom that the son would have ruled over. So here the son would have put his kingdom, set his kingdom up here. Israel rejected him. So now the kingdom is postponed to here. So what's going to happen during this time while the son is away? That's what the parables are telling you. Is that the, the, kingdom, the kingdom from the heavens take on a mystery form and it's being manipulated. And you see that even happening today. In which Satan has his mature sons that are in the world. And Satan is energizing his mature sons. And they're all throughout all of the different uh, agencies in the world. From education to politics to uh, religion. Definitely in religion. And so Satan has his mature sons. And the, son, the father has his mature sons. And what's on display is what happens when the father energizes in his mature sons. And Satan energizes in his mature sons. That's what's on display today. That's what's on display. And that's what the parables were talking about. What would happen to the kingdom the son would have ruled over while he's gone? And so notice in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence had this man this wisdom and these mighty words? And you know, they just couldn't get over what they knew about him. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Jose and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence hath this man all of these things? Now, I think that what they were offended by was that he had this information and he did not get it through their rabbinical schools. This is what they, they just blew their mind. Because how do you have this kind of information and where did you get it from? Let me show you another one that I didn't list in your... Um, your outline in John chapter 7. This is kind of some of the things that the Lord that, that happens is just kind of really it's really kind of comical and maybe it's just me. I just have a weird sense of humor, but I just look at how the Lord did things and how the people responded and uh, most of them he just made complete fools out of. And so notice he says um, Let's go back. Uh, he's in, he goes up to the feast 
And here's what happens. And we'll pick it up in verse 14. Now, by the midst of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having not learned? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. But he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep it? Now here's a good place to show you that even Israel didn't keep the law. They didn't. And that's always comical to me that you see these people who try to pound the pulpit and say we're under law today. The Jews didn't even keep the law. And you think you can keep it? Didn't Moses, did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you keep the law? Why do you go about to kill me? The people answered and said, thou hast a devil. Who goes about to kill thee? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance. Already you can translate that. Stop judging according to appearance. But judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? And so the people are wondering, is this the Messiah? And so notice what happens here. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, "Um, You both know me, and I know whence I am, and when I'm come, I, I, I am not come of myself. He that sent me is true, and whom you know not. So let's drop down here. They send the, the, uh, the uh, captains of the guard to arrest him. And notice in verse 5, uh, excuse me, um, pick it up in verse 41. Others said that this, uh, 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is, and I would say, this is that prophet or the prophet. Now, Israel had three things that they knew were, were going to happen that there was going to be a prophet that was coming, the last prophet. You can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 18. They knew that there was going to be the suffering servant of Jehovah in um, um, Isaiah 53. And they also knew there was going to be the Messiah. You know what tripped them up? They didn't know that all three was going to be in one person. It completely tripped them up. And so they're asking, the people are asking, are you that, are you the prophet? That's to come. Others said, this is the Christ, the Messiah. But some said, shall Christ, shall the Messiah come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So then there was a division among the people because of him. And some of the men would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? 
And the officers answered, never a man spake like this man. So they were moved by what he said. And notice what the, the, uh, the Pharisees said. Then, the, then answered them the Pharisees. Okay, this is where I just kind of just, this is comical to me. You might not think it's so funny. <laughs> Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? They're so concerned about what people think. And whether or not he was having an impact. So much so that they wouldn't even look at whether or not what he said was true. And so notice the captain of the guard. No man spake like this man is speaking. And so they could see the wisdom from which he spoke. And many of them still rejected it. And so... um, According to scripture, the Lord had a normal relationship with his parents. Notice Luke notes that the temple experience at age 12, that the Lord traveled back to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was subject to them. The word subject means um, that uh, it's a hupotasso, which means to place oneself under the authority of another in order to receive the benefit of their, their authority. So imagine the God man putting himself under the authority of his parents. It's just, it's unconscionable, right? You have people who think that they're gods who won't subject themselves to their parents, right? The little deities today who you can't tell anything. (laughs) You can't tell them anything, right? And they're nothing. And they don't want to subject themselves to their parents. But here is God in the flesh who subjected himself to his parents. And so notice you see that over in in, uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. So um, we were looking at before that they were amazed. Notice in verse 48, and when they saw him, they were amazed. Uh, Let's go back because this is a parents when they go into the temple. And so, um, verse 46, and it came to pass that after three days they found him in a temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all, they, all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now notice the parents when they, when they saw him, Joseph and Mary, verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son... Why hast thou dealt with us, uh, dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And so it's what word for um, grieved. Uh, or actually, it's a, a distressed kind of uh, thing that they're distressed over. Where, where's he at? In verse 49. And he said unto them, how is it that you know uh, uh, you sought me? Did you not know? that I must be about my father's business? Uh, Really, you could say, did you not know it's necessary that I must be about my father's business? And so, now, imagine you were in this situation. You're like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. They weren't able to put together what he was talking about. They, they didn't understand, what, what is it? What are you saying? And notice in verse 51, and he went down with them 
and came to Nazareth and uh, was subject, or, you know, he was made subject unto them. Uh, but his mother, or you could say he subjected himself, his mother kept all of these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so you see this ideal of him sub- submitting himself. Uh, and so that word actually it's used of uh, believers submitting ourselves to higher authorities. You see that in uh, um, Romans thirteen five. It's also used of believers submitting to one another. Uh, notice in Ephesians five twenty one, and let's look at that one in Ephesians five twenty one. This ideal of uh, subjection. Um, it's really interesting when you see that the son submitted himself to the father. The Holy Spirit submitted to the Son. But what is the real problem in America today or in around the world? People do not want to submit to anyone for anything. Right? And the real issue is people have a higher opinion of themselves than what is warranted. And so the Son didn't think it was a problem to submit even though he was equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now what if I mean, I could just see this playing out if it were just people, right? If people had this scenario and they were, there was a plan and they said, okay, so you're going to go down and you're going to do that. Well, why me? Why do I have to do it? Why don't you do it? But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit loved each other. And they, were, they had the perfect relationship. And so they could submit. He didn't think it a robbery. Uh, uh, to uh, He didn't think it was a... Um, uh, demeaning to take on a subservient position. And so you can see this from a, a spiritual point of view. When believers are spiritual, we don't have that problem either. And you can, this word, the same word is used here, hupotasso, and it's used um, of the believers, and nobody can make you do it. Nobody can make you submit. I think you can only do it as you're filled by the Spirit. You can't tell somebody, you submit, you're my wife, or you submit, I'm the pastor. What a bunch of foolishness, right? People will submit as they're led by the Spirit to do so. And so notice you see it here in verse, um, let's start with verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where is an excess, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to yourselves. And so you're doing it to yourself, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things um, to God. So here's a good example of what being filled by the Spirit looks like. And it's not what you see in Christendom, where a lot of people say it's what kind of clothes you wear, Well, maybe that might enter into it as you're led by the Spirit, or it's not dancing, it's not singing, it's not lifting of hands, it's none of that stuff. And there's something that's going on on the inside of the person. Notice you say it, you see it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And here's the thing that you really see that it characterizes uh, being filled by the Spirit, being thankful, giving thanks. And we see in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we can give thanks for everything and in everything. Nobody's going to do that if they're not filled by the Spirit. No way you're going to give thanks for everything. 
if you're not filled by the Spirit. Giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have it, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so all of us believers, I mean, just think about what the church could be like if all of the believers were filled by the Spirit and we were submitting to each other for the use of our spiritual gifts and how God is using each other. The body does. Your arm submits to your back. I mean, if, when was the last time you saw your right leg say, I'm not submitting, I'm going off on my own? You just, your body works in harmony with each other, right? It's not a problem. And that's the way that the, the um, body of Christ is supposed to work. But we don't always get there because of uh, carnality. Um, but the son had no problem with it. He had no problem him being the second person of the Godhead, put himself at a lesser position in order to do the Father's will. And we're going to see that that's, that's the reason he did it. And notice his training was in a, a strict Jewish home. And so you have a lot of people that say, oh, Jesus is this or that. You know, you, know, you run the gamut. All these people who say that Jesus is of whatever nature that he was or what nationality. But here we find that he was born in a Jewish home, that he was a Jew. Notice, you can see that by the fact that he attended the synagogue regularly. Um, Luke 4, 16. Luke 4, 16. <clears throat> Verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out his fame of him through all the regions round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, this is a very interesting context there. If you look through it, and he opens it to the passage that talked about him and read it, and they were just looking at him. <laughs> what to say? Right. And they should. I mean, there's so many opportunities that they should have known who he was and they just rejected it. He regularly attended the temple. You can see uh, in uh, Luke 2, 41 through 46, he studied the scriptures and you can see it here in verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is up on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them to the bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I think he's talking about the nation to the nation of Israel. I don't believe he's just talking blanketly to everybody on the face of the earth. I think he's talking specifically to the nation of Israel. And he closed the book and he gave it unto the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And here you have it. Verse 21, he says, he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so he understood the Old Testament scriptures. He quoted it. 
I think it was in John 5 where he told the um, Jews that you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life. And when you look at that reference of, of the scriptures, particularly in the Gospels, it's not talking about the New Testament scriptures. It's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. That's what they had. They had Old Testament scrolls. He wasn't talking about New Testament scriptures. He had communion with the Father. Um, and you can see that in uh, Matthew, uh, Mark one thirty-five and John 4. Um, we understand that the Lord, notice he says he waxed strong in spirit. Now, go back if you would, and I think that's over in um, uh, Luke 180, as I think it is. Luke 180. Yes. Okay, not bad. <laughs> not bad. I was holding my breath there. Okay. Uh, notice this idea of wax strong in spirit, verse um, 80. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing to Israel. Now, this is talking about um, uh, John the Baptist. But um, this idea of wax strong in spirit, the word wax is the kreteo, to develop mentally. Uh, Henry Thiessen asserts that the reason for the Lord's mental development was fivefold. And notice this is coming out of his uh, systematic theology. Um, that his training is in, was in a godly home, his regular attendance was in his uh, synagogue, and his visits to the temple and his study of the scriptures and his communication with the Father were all um, contributed to that uh, development of his um, mental development and how he waxed strong. Notice proof of the, of the, that the Lord was God is seen throughout the course of scripture, and we can get started on some of that tonight. Uh, first of all, he proclaimed himself to be God. Look at John chapter 10 and verse 30. Now, this is really, really significant. Um, there's a lot of people who would believe in that Jesus was a good man. Well, that's not the option that he gives in Scripture. You don't find that, that he was a good man, but that he makes the uh, statement that he is God. So notice, um, let's start, if you will, in verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long do you make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you believe me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Now, you could go over um, to Hebrews chapter 2, and it tells you the reason that a lot of these things that the Lord did was they were actually to a witness, particularly the sign miracles. The sign miracles was pointing toward the fact that he was God. All of those miracles, the changing of the water to wine, the feeding of the, 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 uh, the 4,000 and the 5,000, those were sign miracles, and those miracles were meant to point to the fact that this guy is more than a man. No man could do this. And so they saw those things and, it, and, and it, they still didn't believe. Verse 26. I mean, if you, if you believe that the sin nature, I don't think a lot of these people who believe in this evangelism, this unbiblical evangelism, they don't understand the fallen nature of man. It's not what you're going to give them. It's not what you're going to do for them. You could do all of that stuff and they'll still reject the truth. As you saw with the Lord in John, 6, John chapter 6. And so notice what he says in verse 26. 
But you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Here's another uh, instance of eternal security. So God has given to the son these whom he wanted to give to him. Do you think that you can pluck yourself out? Isn't that ludicrous? Well, how are you going to do that? You're dealing with God. Not only can you not take yourself out, but neither can anyone else. Verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall ne- never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out. No man has the ability. What man has the ability to take someone out of his hand? No one. And notice he says, they're not able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, now he's going to say the punchline. <laughs> and they get, they get what he's saying. Notice the response. I and my father are one. Already one thing. He's making himself equal with God. So notice in verse 31, the Jews and the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered and said, answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou being a man, maketh thyself, what? God. See, they show you what they think about him right here. They're looking at this guy and they think, you're just a man. Who do you think you are? What they could see with their eyes, they didn't see a glowing person. They didn't see angels behind him. They didn't see all of this majestic authority. When they saw him, they just saw a man. And really, they saw a man that they thought needed to be killed. And so it took faith to be able to see otherwise. Really, in that instance, remember back in John chapter 6, and we'll close it with this. During this time, during the son's earthly ministry, the father was the one that actually uh, caused men Um, to be able to see that the son was more than a man. The father caused that to happen. Who does it today? The Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 6, verse 65. Now notice, remember we were here earlier, and we were talking about those people that saw these miracles, and then what the Lord said to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood And notice in verse uh, 63 of John chapter 6. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Just as an aside here, proof of the fact that discipleship, and listen to me, Discipleship is not synonymous with salvation. It has never been synonymous with salvation. It never will be synonymous with salvation. You know how I know? And I can give you one quick proof of it. 
Judas was a disciple. Was he saved? And look at all these people here. They all walk away from the Lord. They all turned away from him. And they were his disciples. Why do I raise that? And why am I ranting and raving? You say, well, come on, you're getting a lot excited about this. Because that's a prominent teaching in the church today. Notice in verse 65. And he said, therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my father. The father was the one that caused people to be able to see this guy that you're looking at, he's more than a man. He's God. And if the father didn't open their eyes to see it, I don't care how much you said. Notice you see all the miracles. They saw all of those miracles. And you can go back into John 9 and see it. He, he, uh, the Lord goes into the temple and he heals the man that is born blind. And what do they say to him? This man can't be of God. He healed on the Sabbath. <coughs> and so, and then, what do they say to the blind man? You be a sinner born from birth. How will you tell us? Blindness is a horrible thing, man. And you can see it in people. They're blind as a bat and they don't see it. And so here you see it with the Lord Jesus and he's going to continue to show throughout the um, scripture that he is God. And that one of the things that you see that they believed on that time that he was God. As they saw those miracles and they you can go back and we'll go back into John chapter two. When the disciples saw him turn that water to wine, they believed on him that day. And we'll look at that and we'll see that.